welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with John Farrell, co-founder and CEO at Well Database. John, how you doing this beautiful Friday morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Yeah, you bet. Eager to please. You're here about 15 minutes early, and I like to be early, and you were even earlier. So my hat's off to you, sir. You're very punctual. I like that. I don't know. When you you live in Houston, you realize that you live in a suburb of Houston. That means you live an hour from everywhere. So up in the (laughs) woodlands, you know, you take off early or you're going to be late. So no, not a problem. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, man, we met and we were just talking about this. We met a while ago. Where did we first meet? Was it a Digital Wildcatters event? Yeah, that's it. It was either at one of the tech nights or at the collective. That's dinner. right. So, yeah. yeah. So but, I didn't make the first collective dinner, but I was at, they had an event at the, the Ambient, okay. yeah. I think is where we met. And then, you know, we've got mutual friends. One, we were just talking about Josh Robbins. So oh, yeah. uh, that guy. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if he listens to uh, Oil and Gas on shore, but that guy certainly has, has a part in my heart. He's such a good dude. And, uh, <laughs> My hat's off to him. He's got his arm. He's back healed up now. And she's doing the right thing. And, and shout out to Beachwood Marketing. I encourage everyone out there to check him out. Absolutely. The, yeah. yeah. You know, we uh, partnered with Beachwood. So when you sign up for Beachwood's okay. buyer network, you get access in the well database to help vet all your the potential M&A activity. So we provide the data that runs that, you know, Josh tells me every day. They use okay. our site to help build their prospects to help make their call lists and, you know, execute. Awesome. Well, I didn't even know that. So a huge <laughs> shout out to you guys. That's certainly, you know, making strategic partnerships is so important and we can touch a little bit more on that, but how did you meet Josh and how did, what did that sort of look like? Yeah. How'd you guys end up partnering up like that? Same way we met. Yeah. Uh, he was the first person I walked into whenever I walked in that first collective dinner Yeah. and you know, you walking into a room of people I had never met. I knew Jake and Colin and that yeah. was it. Yeah. And so I walk in there, he's the first person standing there. So we just start talking and Man, and never stops. That guy talks all the time. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a great guy. Now, it, it couldn't have been more fate, man. The, our partnership has been great. He's a great guy. And Excellent. It's, it's, you know, just a great connection to have. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee's for closures. I'm sure everyone <laughs> out there knows the hashtag. And uh, yeah, every time he comes to town, we try and grab coffee and, and BS a little bit. And, and I mean, my line of business is completely separate from what he does. But, uh, yeah. you know, we have similar, you know, goals and just our visions align with, you know, you know, who we are and what we value. And so, it's neat to run around some good people, you know, obviously like yourself. And you mentioned Jake and Colin for everyone out there. I'm sure you're aware the digital wildcatters are, they're crushing it out there. They got a lot of things going on. You know, they're busy, but certainly they have a great podcast, the Oil and Gas Startups podcast. Make sure we plug them. They've yeah, got, uh, you know, there's so many start, you know, startup companies entering the space right now and just 
they all bring a unique set of skills and unique value to the marketplace. And so a shout out to Jake and Colin for helping people build their brand and get the exposure because it's tough. You know, that's it's such a flooded market space. And right now branding and, and brand awareness is extremely important. So, oh, I agree. And, you know, we don't ever sorry, we do think about this, but mm-hmm. it, years ago there was no avenue for this. You know, when right. we started Well Database, there was no I mean, there was no podcast around the oil and gas industry that I was aware of. There was no highlight on startups. You just had to go walk the floor of NAPE and start introducing yourself. I mean, yeah. and so the startup ecosystem today in Houston has improved a hundredfold. And, you know, those guys with the startup podcast are a big part of what's kind of kicked off this movement. So I'm very, I love the industry right now. I love the movement. I love Houston and what's happening with the startups. And yeah, it's a really exciting time. It is. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because there's a lot of volatility out there. The landscape right now, just oil and gas in general, Wall Street's beating the shit out of us. You know, companies are trying to figure out ways to give cash back to investors. You know, unless you live under a rock, you've probably realized that everyone's stock price has like been in the red for years now. And so, you know, but, you know, chaos breeds innovation. And I think that's what, you know, we're certainly here to talk about. But, you know, it presents a lot of opportunity. I think there's enough blood on the streets where people, some people are drowning, but I think there's there's people ready to eat and, and capitalize on it when this thing comes back around. But, you know, certainly want to talk about Well Database. But before we get more into this, I just want to take a quick break. If you like coffee and you don't want to pay for it, I have a deal for you. Leave a review, send me a message letting me know you left a review and I'll buy you a coffee. If you don't like coffee and don't want to hang out with me, that's cool too. I'm extremely grateful that you're even listening today. So John, let's even back it up before we get all techie and stuff. Where are you from? I have a pretty unique upbringing. So I spent a third of my childhood in Memphis, Tennessee, okay. a third of it down in South Houston, and then a third in a place called Tarkington, which you can't find unless you go <laughs> up 59 North out of Houston, take about three wrong turns, and you'll be in the middle of Liberty County in a no way. place called Tarkington Prairie. So, okay. so why? Military uh, family or just? No, my parents are nomads. They're okay. awesome. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so we we just moved around a little bit because that's what we did. So anyway, Very it was cool. a unique and upbringing because I was from, you know, one kind of inner city to, a, you know, a Texas, Houston kind of inner city area to out in the country. So it's kind of cool. But anyway, yeah. I left there, went to University of Texas when I could get out of the, the small town and I was a computer science major. And, you know, this is around the 2000 and dot-com boom was like in full swing and then it bottom fell out and Austin was at the forefront of it you know kind of like they are today but Austin became a walking dead man it was just empty it was Austin yeah it was it was bad right around 2000 buildings were sitting half completed and okay office space was empty and and it didn't last that long but it's just the right time for me to where I was like okay there's no jobs left here um go back towards Houston so it's a funny story because I was 19 I was a I was a junior in college, technically, mm-hmm. um, and I got a call from my old boss at Shell and saying that, you know, I heard you, you know, from people we knew that you knew web development. And okay. I had taught myself web development as a teenager. Wait, and, when did you work at Shell? Well, this is, yeah. And I, he called me and asked me if I wanted to come work at Shell. And oh, I said, oh. well, I'm still in college. And he's like, well, we'll pay you whatever, 45, 50K to come out and come work here. How'd they find you? Was it like uh, a hit under No, thing? it was from a friend of a friend who knew my dad, who knew that I was a developer and I'd written some, oh, wow. some code for, I'd written probably a dozen different websites and things like that. Okay. So um, uh, not to interrupt, but you, so you moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Brothers, sisters? Yeah, I've got four brothers and sisters. So okay. So you guys were family. a pretty tight knit group mm-hmm. then bouncing around. So 
you talk about computer science and everything. So like, was that something that you, from an early age, is that something that interested you or did you find a computer and tear it down and figured like, this is my thing? Like what did, what does no, that look like? It's pretty funny. So growing up, my dad was a roofer okay. and down in Houston's a roofer. When I turned 13, I had to start roofing with him. Awesome. So it was one thing I knew was that I didn't want to be a roofer. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. I can identify, yeah. but anyway, keep going. And so my older brother got into programming in high school and then weirdest thing happened my dad decided he was going to stop roofing and become a programmer no shit and so okay. he took all his roofing equipment we had the biggest garage sale on the face of the planet <laughs> and he started reading his books and he got a job about six months later wow. uh, as a software developer self-taught oh yeah yeah Holy completely cow. good for him and to this day he's somewhere up in development management for wood first bank this day so no way yeah. what a cool story is that not the american dream it's nuts you know he, he was a roofer for 20 years not yeah. just like a week i mean he was almost 40 when he started this stuff and wow and then changed careers and he's been hugely successful in it he's awesome it's a great guy okay no uh, that is that's very interesting you don't hear that very often yeah so but i came it was all around me and I learned it because I was around it and it kind of came natural. But okay. I was, when I went off to school, I was, I was going to be a doctor. So I was okay. a biochemistry major, but then I worked for a summer at a doctor's office yeah. and quickly decided that that wasn't for me. Can um, I call you Dr. John? You can call me Dr. John if you want. Yeah. Such a good, it's, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> That's it. No, okay. it's perfect. So anyway, <laughs> it's long story short is I, I never meant to be in tech, but it came so natural to me Yeah. when I got and decided that the medical field wasn't for me. I, kind of fell into the programming because it's what I knew. Mm -hmm. And it just happened to be on the, you know, the cusp of what web development became. You know, we were talking web 2.0 back then was a thing. It's yeah. so weird to think about. But yeah, so it came naturally and it was an exciting time to be doing that. And to the point where you've got a major oil company, Shell, calling a 19-year-old kid crazy, in college dude. telling me that, you know, they'll pay me the full-time, you know, college graduate rate and move me across the, from Austin to Houston and everything. Yeah. To come work there so i like to tell people i got drafted out yeah. of college so <laughs> hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's everyone's dream that, that's that speaks quite a bit because you know it's not too often where shell reaches out to anybody i mean most people are scratching at the door especially nowadays to right. try and get into companies like shell but so you said you were 19 yeah i was time? 19 19 you get called from shell what happens after that yeah i went to work there for about nine months i had a meeting with my boss during a review and they said they found out up in the upper ranks that they hired a kid out of college who didn't have a degree and they said you can keep him but he's got to go back to school <laughs> right and did right, they pay for it no well oh, I, I didn't that would have been badass i didn't go back either so oh, I, left, oh. <laughs> I quit <laughs> okay <laughs> I, uh, I got an opportunity to go work for a consulting group at schlumberger um oh. and so i jumped at that and that consulting group we did i did projects at schlumberger i worked with some halliburton software we were doing we wrote some drill bit analysis for reed hikalog back when they were there no way and so I bounced around, got to do a lot of really cool stuff as a consulting thing and then touching all different parts of the oil and gas industry, not really knowing that I was building up to what we were doing, you know, because the next step would be new tech energy where, you know, I was in the top, you know, first 20 employees and we blew up to about 125 at our max. Okay. Um, and through all those things, what happened was I was touching all this data and it was always, you know, with a specific purpose in mind. And it wasn't until, you know, midway through working at new tech, I was just like, the data is what I do, data and oil and gas. And we started looking around at what, you know, the competitors in the space and how much money people were paying for data, how much was available in the public space. And we said, we're going to put a business around this. And so we started off writing automation systems to acquire data. And, and we spent years, nights and weekends writing all this software to pull all this data from, I mean, today we pull from 48 different sources. Wow. And we pull data into a single database where we normalize it, we run rules over it, we analyze it, and we put it into a 
multiple formats to be high performant for queries and stuff. And that is how da- Well Database came to be, man. Okay. And so you started Well Database, what year was it? Oh, we started writing that code in 2009. Okay. And yeah. then we were, you've been in business since 2012? Was That's it? when we released our product was in 2012, okay. the first iteration. And then I didn't jump ship from to do it full time until about 2015 or so. So now 2012, the oil and gas was doing pretty well at that time, I believe. Because I remember getting out of school in 2009, things were pretty shitty. Yeah, uh, we had just come out of 08 yeah. and that was a dip. Right, right. Certainly not what we're, we just recently experienced. So so what made you realize like, okay, I'm ready to jump out on my own? Because I think that's, that, that's where people are so, you know, that's where the fear factor comes in. It's like, you know, they're comfortable, they're working at a big company. They can hide and not work for a few hours and then come back and still, you know, still perform and, and yeah. collect a paycheck. But, you know, where did the drive come from to go off on your own, take the risks? I don't know if you were married or had a girlfriend at the time or what that looked like. But what did, describe that transition. So I can say that from very early on that I knew I wanted to have my own company. Okay. Uh, Why is that? I just knew... I think from just wanting to be able to create it, to be able to manage it, to be able to run it in the way that I you know, thought it should be run mm-hmm. to, I mean, just across the board, I knew that it was a drive that I wanted to work for myself. Yeah. Um, Have you always been a creator? Yes. That's number one. I've always, it's what it's always been about for me is creating. Okay. Um, so what, it wasn't like monetary driven. It was no. just, you wanted the creative control to create and, and, right. and you know, do the, you know, coding and stuff like that or whatever it was. That's it. Yeah. And so, you know, you can see that in a person, my hobbies, you know, I build furniture and stuff like that. Oh, I've, right I've done construction since I learned it with my dad. I, whenever you take a step back, you realize everything I do is around creating something. And so that's just kind of how I'm wired. And yeah. so, yeah, I've always been driven that way. <clears throat> so you doubled down on your strength and yeah, that, that's got it. after it. And yeah, I chose, I really thought this through a lot because I was married and I, uh, I just had my fifth kid when we started the company. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Did you? Okay. So you, you came from a large family. Yeah. Did you know you wanted a large family or were you, was like, like man, <laughs> five I, kids, man. I was so laid back about it. I, uh, really? I was just kind of rolling along. We had one. You want to have another? Yeah, sure. And you know, we had four boys and then we had our girl was our baby. And so wow. maybe that played into it a little bit, but I was just. I was game for it, man. I started really young, so you kind of are too dumb to realize that maybe this is a lot, but... How old were you when you had your first one? 20. Okay. So how would you describe, and what's the oldest and what's the youngest? My oldest just turned 18. Okay. And my youngest is nine and a half. Okay. So a couple questions. Mm -hmm. With, you know, we didn't grow up with social media and all that bullshit. How do you navigate those waters right now? Like I have two young kids. They don't know what social media is. They're under the age of four, but that's going to be a thing. So like how, cause you've witnessed the transition from flip phones to smartphones to social media, Snapchat, TikTok, all, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. How do you, what's the biggest word of advice? Well, you know, I have a little bit of tactical advantage because, you know, dad's always been the tech guy. I've, I've been writing code and building systems since I was a teenager. And so I had my yeah. kids thinking for years that I knew everything that happened everywhere all the time. <laughs> nice. I like uh, that. So it, I use that a little bit. You can't but hide from me. No, that's it. But, yeah. you know, you there's, there's a good, you know, to not give terrible non-specific advice it's just a happy medium you have to give them a little leeway but you have to draw the line too Mm -hmm. so for example the whole facebook world i I didn't let any of my kids give facebook accounts i just didn't see it necessary instagram i did why because instagram was 
triggered around pictures and photos and it was a more positive atmosphere and things from my experience in it. And Facebook had too much garbage all tossed in it. So it just didn't sure. work for me. And yeah. to this day, my 18 year old, he doesn't, he uses Instagram. He uses Snapchat, which kids are going to use Snapchat no matter what you do, no matter what you say, yeah. the kids will use Snapchat, just roll with it. Yeah. You know, you, the bottom line is you instill values in your kids before social media comes around right. and what you get in social media is a result of the values that you put into them. And yeah. so, you know, you give our kids freedom to make decisions, but also kind of, you know, put them in the position so that they can be successful. So. Yeah, no. And I like the way you say that. And, and people blame social media for a lot of the issues that their kids have. And it's, but I think people are afraid to look in the mirror and realizing that it's not a, the social media problem. It's a parenting problem. And so, you know, obviously this is not a parenting podcast, but, <laughs> but most of the folks that I have on are, you know, our age, mid thirties, forties, they have kids. And so I think to shy away from that topic and, and, you know, if we can help change someone's perspective or, or kind of like yeah. let the light bulb go off, I think it's important. So no, it is. And you know, it is at our age and I'm 38, you know, I have an 18 year old, which is a little older than probably most 38 year olds have. And I can just at least give some reassurance to say, look, yeah. you know, you, put in the values you want, you give them the, you know, boundaries that are appropriate and man, they come out pretty damn good. So, right. yep. so don't, don't stress about it too much. Just, <laughs> just go with it, power through it and there'll be some ups and downs, but yeah it's, yeah, it's not as bad as people like to act like it is. For sure. No, that's great advice, man. So let's get back on track here. So you started Well Database around 2012. I guess, so what is Well Database? So we go out, no matter, data is the biggest thing in the industry now, and it has been for a little while, but still data is hard to get, harder than it should be. Mm -hmm. It's more expensive than it should be. And there's more headaches around it. I mean, you hear it from everybody that 90% of their time is spent getting data into a format in which they could do work with oh, it. Oh, dude, so, so true. And that's, it's, for that to still be a problem today, <laughs> is insane. And so that's really the pain point we try to do. So we okay. go out and we go up to every public source that's available. And so it's not just state regulatory agencies, it's tax commissions, universities, frac focus, USGS, federal government, everything that has an ounce of oil and gas data. Okay. And we extract that and pull it into our systems. And then when we do that, we put it all through a, a single format. And so every state deals with it differently. So we do all the translations for you. So you get one standard format of all the data you get. And then we do a lot of cleansing, a lot of fixing, a lot of, you know, updating and normalizing, aliasing, you know, there's a lot of problems in the public set. So we spend a lot of a lot of our energy doing that. Mm -hmm. Mind you, 100% of that is automated. So we have mm -hmm. programs doing all that. We don't have people doing it, which is why we can provide it at the price we can. You know, uh -huh. I know for a fact our competitors have 100 times the staff we do. And they're kind of hamstrung by it. Okay. So, but we go out, we grab all that data, we do magic with it, make it really useful. And then we have a portal that you can log into and you can grab data. Some people like to get in just to export out what they want and leave. That's cool. Some people like to live in it. And we do everything from production analytics, type curves, operator comparisons. Oh, wow. We do forecasting, economics, project and data management. I mean, it's all in one portal. And we just keep adding features to it and we're not raising prices or anything because we just have this great system in place. So yeah, at the end of the day, you know, people touch this data in a million different ways. What we do is we make it useful. We okay. make it easier. We alleviate that pain where you have to spend 80% of your time cleaning the data. Right. So you can knock that down and then you can, you know, if you want to use our tools, we've got a great set of tools that allow you to really know, I mean, how are operators comparing? What does type curve, what do type curves look like? What, you know, what does the, I mean, 
we grab every piece of data. So what are the verticals? What do they say? What do the horizontals say? Where are the logs? What do they say? Yeah. We pull it all together in one place. Wow. So now there's obviously a trillion different oil field companies mm-hmm. out there. Is there a certain target market that you guys like to approach or who ideally can utilize this type of data? So our biggest mistake, biggest mistake, but a mistake we made was that we tried to be super broad for everybody, um, which gave us a little bit slower traction in the beginning, but now it's proven to be very fruitful because so our three user classes are service companies, E&Ps and finance. Okay. Um, So basically that sums up everybody. It is. Well, and you know, you have these little subsets of like mineral buyers that have come in and those guys kind of sometimes toe the line between a finance and EMP in some ways. Yeah. And then, you know, the, on the service side, I've been really kind of blown away by the, the oil field, the, I guess the truck drivers who use our, our mobile apps to find directions to site, to the oh, well no sites. To, I mean, it's used by such a huge swath of people. It's so cool to do. So wow. basically, and I mean this, if you touch data in the oil and gas space, you want to look at permits, you want to look at completions, well construction, log data, production data, we have it. We have it for you. We've got tools for you on it. And so, like I said, we're a little broad, but man, it's we've noticed that across the entire industry, people are using our system now. Yeah, that's certainly a lot of potential there for anybody, like you said, anybody who touches data. And I'm going to ask, you know, the hard question that I'm sure a lot of, you know, your potential clients come at you with is, is, is like, why well database? And and by that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people entering the space big data people, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of other people doing exactly what you guys do. So protect, you know, perhaps yeah. you're very unique offering, but you know, why well database, how do you add value where maybe other people can't? Yeah. So there are a couple of competitors we have that are historical ones and those guys are the big fat and happy and they're not innovating. They're not particularly good at what they do. Okay. What we're doing is that we're bringing new technology. So the automation piece alone allows us to charge a fraction of what they do. So, I mean, if nothing else, you can save half the price, Okay. but it's one thing I know you can't sell on price. So yeah, it's, we bring the technology on the data acquisition side, but then we also bring technology that allows you, I mean, we can aggregate 500 million production records on the fly. There's not another system out there that can do anything like that. So is that proprietary or is that like a, like, is there, and excuse my ignorance, because yeah. this is just a world that I'm not familiar with. Are, is there patents on being able to do that? Or like, how does that work? No, the thing is, is that this technology is not particularly new in the tech world. These are things that Silicon Valley have been looking at for years. Uh, okay. You know, Facebook handles an insane amount of data and can aggregate and their ad platform builds off of hundreds of millions if not billions of data points Hmm. and so no nothing that we're doing is revolutionary from that standpoint but it is custom because there's Spotfire, Tableau, those kind of things that you can run a good amount of data through. Mm. But you come up over about 50 million production records and it starts to choke, sure. at least on the web zone. If you put a desktop one, it's a lot more powerful. But ours is all web and we had to build it from the ground up, wow. utilizing these technologies, of course. You know, we're not re- reinventing the wheel, but okay. by doing that, we're allowing people on the webs and on mobile phones to do things with data that they've never been able to do before. Huh, interesting. So what's, I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced since, since hitting the market space? And then over the downturn, how has that, has that shifted your focus or energy in different areas? What does that look like? So the biggest challenge in this market, especially starting, you go back to 2012, is just the market penetration. It's getting people to try something new. At the end of the day, they've been using these systems for years sometimes. They know what they're doing in them. They have a workflow. And even if you can provide a better workflow, a better price, it's change. Yeah. Change is hard. Just Especially period. in our industry. Yeah. And we talked about this before. It's 
people may be open to change, but for that change to actually realize, it takes oh, <laughs> it yeah. takes a long time. Well, and it's not just one person that needs to change many times. It's an entire company and you've yes. got, you know, groups. And, and when you have data providing like us, we, you know, you have geologists, you have reservoir engineers, you've got landmen, everybody's touching this data. So you need to get buy-in from a ton of people before a big company can move over to you. So yeah. it's it just takes time. But as far as what has happened with this latest downturn, it's actually allowed us to double down on our strategy because people are looking at price more than ever. Mm-hmm. And it's one one place that we can't be beat without a doubt. No one can come close, honestly. Wow. And then the other thing is that with the kind of shift change with the older generation, some early re- retirement packages coming through, some new blood coming in. Yeah. A lot of people are expecting more out of their technology and that's what we're delivering. We're delivering the modern technology that you're used to seeing on your phone every day on, you know, on every application you use outside of oil and gas. And we're bringing that to oil and gas because, you know, most of the software you use in oil and gas still was written in nineties or <laughs> yeah. maybe two thousands. If you're lucky now, I mean, it's just, so slow and so archaic that, you know, we're bringing that new technology and the younger crowd, they crave it and that's what they want. So beyond that, you know, we're doubling down in that we just rolled out a well database light plan. Okay. It's actually free well-level data for everyone. And I'm not talking about just, you know, headers, headers, production, casing, perfs, injection data, and you name it on a well-by-well basis, you have every ounce of data in our system all for free. Okay. So I can draw my own conclusions, but I want to hear it from you. Why give something for free? There's a lot, and there's a there's a precedent for this across other industries. You know, giving the data away for free, I guess, let me take one step back. It's always was the plan from day one. We knew we were headed in this direction. From a you know philosophical standpoint, it's public data. Yep. Uh, it's data you can go to the state agencies, you can find, you can compile it all. It's just going to take you time and energy to do it. But at the end of the day, to say that you have to pay us for data that's public for everybody, it always felt like that wasn't the goal. It was always, let's build on top of it, let's make it better, and then we can give away this data for free. Because we're making, we're adding value elsewhere. Cool. Um, but then it also lends to where we're headed. We're trying to build a community around oil and gas where people can not just consume data, but interact with data. Where you see it all the time on social media, people want to talk about operators, they want to talk about wells, they want to talk about what they've done and where they've done it. When you get a lot of people without jobs, they need a better way of showing what they know and what they do. So we're trying to build a community around it. And that's where the free data starts because then the next step is we're allowing people to start commenting and start talking about where their expertise in areas and Mm. start rolling that up to a better resume to a a more interactive experience so that people can you know start using this data and on top and layer in people's expertise on top of it so that you get this big one-stop shop and you can find out anything about the wells that were drilled and then hopefully who drilled them and the people who can talk about their experiences on that. And then, you know, if you're in looking in an area and you need someone who's a completions engineer in the Eagleford, you know, we'll have, you know, hopefully hundreds of them that have commented about the work that they've done. And you wow. can come through and dig in and say, well, you know, these wells were successful. This completion engineer had this great plan. Let's go talk to him. Wow, that is so powerful. So when did you roll out the light version? It was at NAPE this year, so just okay. in February. Okay, so... I mean, obviously things take time to, you know, actualize and, and see the results, but what have you know, like, did it meet your expectations or has it been better, worse? Like, how can you speak on that? Yeah. So this is step one, obviously, because I, yeah. I, I went down the path of like step eight, but still yeah. we took step one and our, our signups have doubled 
um, wow. on a monthly basis. Dude, that's huge. Yeah, it's been exactly what we hoped it would be. It's awesome. stinking awesome. And it's and not only of our free signups, because there's going to be a lot of free users. That's just what you accept as yeah. a freemium model. Yeah. Uh, but our pay users have accelerated about twice as fast, too. Wow. So month I over love month. To hear that. Yeah. It's working out as good or better than expected. So. Yeah. A little earlier, you mentioned AI. How does AI and machine learning play a part in what you guys do? It's a nice buzzword a lot of times. Is it? Okay. Because at the end of the day, we're the data, while we have the the quantity of data that you'd want to use in machine learning model, the amount and the, I guess, the quality of the data makes it challenging because there's just so much expertise that needs to be layered on top of it. So we've run machine learning models over a number of different things with some interesting results, but nothing that we would call revolutionary, you know, we think that, you know, maybe if you dig into proprietary data, you get a little bit better sets. But the biggest problem that we're seeing in the industry is that people running machine learning and AI with more proprietary data, with more advanced and granular data are getting, you know, you get better results, but you're also getting a much tighter space. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. Pioneer ran one with like 500 wells and like, that's not data. That's 500 of your wells. You need 50,000. I mean, you need, you need more points. But with everybody still kind of tight holding their data, now we're kind of stuck in this place where, okay, so we have all this public data, we've cleaned it, we've made it usable. You apply AI or, or machine learning to it, and you get some interesting insights. But honestly, you just don't get anything that you didn't know already. Yeah. If we could layer in sets of proprietary data, then who knows? I think there's more to be seen there. Makes sense. How would you say... And so the question kind of stems from myself. You know, My career, I broke out up in Canada. And back in the early days. So I started in 2004 in the field and then moved into the office in 2009. And up there working for a drilling fluids company, a lot of what we did was, you know, looking, you know, if an operator wants to drill a well, what do you do? You look at offset wells to see if there was any issues, what type of fluid densities, you know, just, just to get an understanding of what that area is you can expect. So up there, they have the OGC, which is the oil and gas commission. And I would, you know, from downtown, I would rip to the OGC, which is just outside of downtown and, and every drilling report in Alberta. So every, every rig has a daily tower sheet. Well, that was all public data. So I could go and I could collect a bunch of public data, bring it back to the office, summarize it, you know, pres- you know, have it in a, in a deliverable format for our salespeople to use. But I say that to say there were, you could go online and there was software and stuff sort of like everything was public. And so it was easy to, you know, tell a story in a certain area on what, you know, operationally, you know, completions, all this stuff like was all available. Do you find down here in the US it's it's hard to get data? Do you have to pay for it? Like and do you see that getting better, worse? Because like from what I understand down here, a lot of people don't like to like divulge their data because it's so <laughs> they hold it so close to the heart and they don't want anyone else to have the competitive advantage. And right. can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. The data is you know, and even in Canada, it's it's province by province that yes. manages the data. And so even in Canada, you see a, you know, British Columbia is fantastic with their data. They will bend over backwards to help you. Alberta, they're pretty proud of it. If you okay. want data at the scale that we use, they're going to charge you. And they're going to charge you more than any U.S. state does. Oh, wow. Anyone. Okay. I didn't um, know that. So, and I'm sure if I, you know, drove there, flew there and, and went to their library, I'm sure there's a library where it's free to go into and mess with wells at a time, but we need everything. 
all yeah. the time. And so there's a cost for it. And that's fine. There's a good mix of that in the U.S. So you get a huge variety of what's provided and you get states like Texas that are moving more and more bulk data into the free space and giving away more than ever, which is interesting because, you know, they're obviously the largest producer and the biggest activity in the country. And then you have states like Louisiana that's locking it down more. You know, states like Pennsylvania that gives you a limited amount in a public format. And then you get, if you get behind a paywall, then you can get a whole lot more. Mm. So it's a huge variety between them. But when you get into the amounts of data, I don't think it's getting particularly any better. We saw an uptick in when fracking started happening and we started getting all of the, the completion details that we didn't get in the past. So that was nice. But since then, it's been pretty flat. You know, there's no new data that really is coming out that's super interesting. And then- okay. And you're right. The people with proprietary data are very, very closed with it. They don't want to share. But I personally believe that they've never been incentivized to share. Sure. You know, there's been consortiums and stuff out there. And then there's been kind of data sharing agreements. And I've heard from so many people that were like, they make an agreement to share data with another operator. And they, you know, they hand them theirs. Or they have some high quality data. They give it to them. And what they give them back is garbage. And so they're like, why would I do <laughs> this? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't win. This is terrible. And so... What I think and what Well Database is part of our initiative is to try to make a form in which you can share data and extract immediate value from it. So I, th I personally believe that if an operator knows that they can upload a certain amount of data and then cross-reference additional sets from us and get and clean insights immediately, yep. they'll be more apt to upload it. For sure. Now, that's to be seen. We'll see what it goes. But I mean, the fact is, is that you can easily say there's no forum to upload or share data that gives you any value today. Uh, so why would you? What's the motivation? Yeah. And right. so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, since we're so known for being transparent, you know, so it, yeah. but no, it's, I think that there's room there. I think we, we hope to kind of work on that to try to make the industry work together because we collectively hurt, you know, yeah. we all need to help each other so that the industry can start to recover. Yes. Uh, so that, that, that remains big challenge. And then hopefully, you know, as the next generation comes up, they see the value in doing that. But yeah, right now, I think there's still a lot of struggle with that. Kind of going back to well database, you touched you touched a little bit before we got on the microphone, and, and certainly you guys have come a long ways. But what does the future look like for you guys? Like, what what is the next you know big plan, or, or what do you guys hope to to overall you know you know big goals? Anything coming down the pipeline, stuff like that? Oh yeah, I mean all the things we talked about with the creating a community around the data. It's kind of a new newer idea that you're creating a community that's tied to actual data mm. where work is being done. And so there's a lot around that that's coming down, but you combine that with some other things we're doing with the data marketplace. And again, we're the only one with a free user, so we're the only one that can do these types of, I guess, open programs that allow people to buy and sell data, to allow people to interact with each other and interact with the data. Our goal, though, is to be the, the hub for oil and gas data. We want you to come to Well Database if you're looking for data, or we want to come to Well Database if you're looking to buy data, if you're looking for people who work in the area, if you're looking to have a discourse with others about what's going on in the industry, we want to kind of just be that hub cool. and allow all these conversations and all this data to flow around, you know, the wells that these that actions are happening on. Mm. So yeah, to be the, the hub of Very oil and cool. gas data. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys are well on your way. So I have a few more questions before we wrap it up here. You know, you're a CEO, you got a lot going on, you got obviously a lot going on at the house, the family. 
you have any daily routines or habits that kind of keep you focused and motivated to just keep grinding every day? Yeah, no, it's people don't talk about it enough. But when you get a start, when you do a startup, especially a software one, but any startup, mm-hmm. you easily find yourself drowning and burning yourself out. But since it's your company, you keep pushing through it. And it's not healthy for anybody. Yeah. And so I've had to make changes over the years. And so my routines have become way more important to me. So number okay. one is I... I attempt when I wake up to not do, to not touch any work for an hour. Okay. Uh, and in that hour I try to, you know, have, you know, I don't even actually pick up any electronics. I try to for you. do some meditation. I try to do some exercise. I try to get 30 minutes of exercise a day because we're sedentary too much, especially in software. No shit. So that helps me set my tone for the day. It helps okay. me clear my mind and not, because I've noticed when I woke up and I pulled up in my email, I have a hundred of them. Okay, maybe 20, but still, it's yeah, customers. It feels like 100. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's how you start your day. You you start it at a nine on the stress scale. Yeah, because you know? your cortisol levels when you wake up are already high. And if you right away get up and look at your phone, your cortisol levels even shoot higher because of that stress. And then you're in constant state of stress. And so right. what it sounds like to me is, you know, you wake up, whether it's meditation, exercise, it's a way to like allow your body to naturally wake up instead of like wake up and just hit yourself with a bunch of stress. Because mm-hmm. ultimately stress is what leads to a lot of illness. And so if we can find ways to manage that stress, it certainly helps with longevity and it, and it helps keep a sustainable level of energy because nowadays we're constantly at an influx of information and mm-hmm you know, cell phones, like all that shit that we know we can't walk away from, you can, we're not robots, you know, we're microorganisms that eventually (laughs) get tired. It's just the way it is. So sleep, eat, exercise, meditation, like all that stuff, it sounds woo woo and all that bullshit out there. It's like, you know, sleep when you die and all that, like (laughs) that, that's not cool anymore. Like, like understanding that you have to set time aside is so freaking important. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, and it's a thing I have five kids. And if you don't reset yourself, if you don't allow your stress to kind of even out, then it'll build throughout the day. And when you finally get home at the end and you get in front of those five kids who want your attention, you're not going to be able to do it right. I didn't do it right. I, mm. I was snippy. I would, you know, be grumpy with them. I wouldn't want to hang out and spend time with them. And you look back on it and it's shameful. Yeah. But, and everybody's different. I get it. But that's what I needed. I needed to reset myself for the day. And then I go in, I go to an office. I used to work from home a lot, but I don't anymore. I go to the office and I, you know, power through. I, you know, try to be disciplined and not sit and email all day. I try to check them twice a day. Cool. Um, and then I, when it's time to check out, I leave the office and I try to leave everything behind. I come home and I leave my phone, my computer, everything in the truck and I go in without it so that I can Good kind of be you. present for a little while. Yeah. And, you know, after we, you know, get together, we eat dinner, we all those things like that, tuck the kids in, you know, we're pretty regimented at home. So they're in bed typically around nine. Mm-hmm. I will grab my computer and I'll do a couple more hours of work because there's just always that work to do and then try to try to get enough sleep too. So it's become more regimented and it wasn't because I, you know, I'm so planned out. Well, I, I worked myself into it. I was going to kill myself, you know, working if I didn't do something about it. So I think it's important. And it's like the, you know, you got to put your oxygen mask on you first (laughs) before you do it on anyone else. So (laughs) that's such a good point. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself. Awesome. No, I appreciate that answer. One last question I had, is there something about yourself that not many people know about? Obviously you work your ass off. You're an awesome dad. I'm sure awesome husband. What do you do outside of all that to to have fun? Do you do? No, I don't do. I don't have fun. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, uh, fun allowed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the kids, the kids keep you on your toes. It's so good, you know. Yeah. And so I've got five of them and, and I, I try to do 
individual things with each one of them. Okay. And they're all into different things and it kind of keeps you on your toes with new stuff. But, you know, I have to point out one thing people don't know about me, which is I think it's pretty cool. If you go look at IMDb and look up John Farrell, you'll see that I was Private Jimmy in the first season of Red vs. Blue no by Rooster Teeth. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, when I was in Austin, I was friends with those guys. We all worked together. And yeah, they started right. making that. And I moved to Houston, but I kept going back to Austin. And uh, yeah, I, I did the voice for Private Jimmy, who no notoriously... <laughs> What? Yeah, he's he's the guy who got beat to death with his own skull. The best line in the first season. If you haven't seen it, just YouTube it. It's easy to find. Okay, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's so badass. It's awesome. (laughs) So my kids, that also gave me a lot of street cred with the kids. You know, I was in Red versus Blue. For sure. That's badass. (laughs) Dude, That's I I love asking that question because like I get some of the the craziest answers, most of which are very entertaining and, and actually, you know, really cool. So I appreciate that. Well, look, I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming events before we log off here. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So We just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, we're continuing to grow. So please come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for spring and summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. John, thanks again for visiting me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. You guys are continuously crushing it over at Well Database. Is there anything else, any closing last words before we get out of here, buddy? Oh, no, man. I Thank you for having me. I love the podcast. I love the, the, like I said, the ecosystem that's happening in Houston with OGGN and all the awareness that we're putting around it, yeah. new tech. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much, man. Cool. If there's anything I can do for you, man, let me know. We'll put your link in the show notes, if you don't mind, with for LinkedIn and then your website in case people want to check it out. Other than that, everyone always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.